Welcome to Trailblazing Homeschool. I'm Melissa, a homeschooling mom of five. And I'm RJ, homeschooling dad and credentialed teacher for over eight years. Join us as we journey with families to discover their own path to education. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Trailblazing Homeschool. Today, we're going to be talking about a question that I have seen pop up in about a billion Facebook groups because I'm in a lot of homeschooling Facebook groups and now there are Facebook groups on, or not Facebook groups, there are groups on other of these weird social media platforms. But anyways, the question is, how many hours a day should I be schooling my kid? How many hours a day should my kid be doing schoolwork? And many of these new homeschool families and parents, because it's not just moms, their dad's asking this question as well, um, is, you know, okay, well, we did all our work in two hours, and now what do we do with the rest of our day? Because it can't really be that fast, can it? What do you think, RJ? Can it be that fast? Well, it depends on who you ask, I think. Um, I know that the state of California, as per what I do, um, says that at least for high schoolers, they should be spending about 60 hours a semester per class. So the state would say, yes, there is a required amount of time. And for elementary school kids, K-8, it should be about an hour per day per core subject. So that would be um, math, science, history, and English. And in all reality, they don't care so much about science and history they really want you spending most of your time on math and english so other states may be different but at least in our state that's kind of where they land as a official school system thing yeah so we touched a lot on what a public school day looks like um, in our episode why leave public school and so that's a good one to go back to if you have not listened to that episode yet that kind of breaks that down a little bit more in depth. But I just want to touch again on this idea that, you know, public school, traditional school, we like to call it because most public and private schools are structured the same as far as how they operate. Um, The day is not full of learning. No, it, it, it can't be really because when you're trying to wrangle a class of anywhere from really 20 to 40 students, depending on whether it's an elementary school or high school class and the the given parameters, there's no way for it to be even primarily about learning. Um, A lot of it is classroom management. In fact, you know, in my studies to be a teacher, there was a lot of emphasis put on that particular point is how to manage a classroom well, rather than on how to teach well. Not that I didn't get that stuff, but uh, there was almost more on classroom management than there was on how to teach students as a group. Yeah, that's true. Um, And so I think when I hear this question and I think about how our days run and how other homeschool families that we know, you know, run their day, I think the real question that we should be asking ourselves is how much time should our kids be playing every day? I think that is a great question, something that I've actually been kind of soaking in and learning more about myself. 
Yeah, because the reality is, even I can confess, the last two weeks, um, we finished up a unit in our curriculum, and I haven't bought a new unit. And so, um, particularly the younger kids, you know, they don't have any outside um, classes or anything that they're doing specifically that, you know, we have to work on every day. Our sixth grader, you know, she has some outside classes and assignments that she's working on. She has her math curriculum that she knows what to do with every school day. Um, So I've been in this like weird limbo of like, oh, well, it's going near holiday season. Do I really buy another unit right now? Do I wait? And you know, oh, well, I can use these free resources and I can do this and that. And really, like, our kids just want to play. They want to play outside in our yard. If you follow us on Instagram at all, you will see me constantly sharing in our stories about our kids playing outside. And even our posts is our kids play outside um, as much as possible as the weather permits. Now, you know, we're now we're going, we were in the extreme heat when we first started this podcast for season two. And now we're going into the cooler weather. And so I have to be more careful of like, hey, kids, put on pants and shoes and shoes because it's like 48 degrees, which in California is really cold to us. I know those of you in other places in the country are like please that's shorts weather you should see the parkas that break out as soon as it drops below 50. oh my gosh the number of people that are wearing ugg boots and like snow jackets already it's comical it really is super comical but it did snow last week on the mountain which is not far away from us so we can see it we can see the snow two mountains actually we can see the snow on both of them yeah but okay Back on track. Um, The idea is that I, you know, was getting a little worked up going, oh, we're not really doing school together every day. We haven't really done school together for like two weeks. Like the last thing we did together was finish the first book in the Chronicles of Narnia on our road trip home from a family wedding a week and a half ago. And since then, it's just every kid's kind of been doing their own thing and they've mostly been playing outside. But then... I remembered that I follow this um, awesome account on Instagram, and I'm sure she has a website too, so forgive me for not knowing all the things, but it's called A Thousand Hours Outside, and they post amazing stuff. Um, They're definitely more leaning of the unschool genre of homeschool, if you will, Uh, but she quoted Angela Hanscom. I probably pronounced that wrong. Um, who wrote the book Balanced and Barefoot, and it lists out how much free play is needed by age group per day. And so for toddlers and preschoolers, age one through five, they should be playing, preferably outdoors, five to eight hours a day. So how are we going to fit school in there if they're outside playing all the time? And grade school children, which are ages 5 through 13, should be participating in at least four to five hours of physical activity and outdoor play. And adolescents, age 13 through 18, benefit from three to four hours of physical activity a day. So that really just 
anytime I'm feeling like, oh gosh, I'm not schooling enough, I just need to go back to those kinds of facts and figures and recommendations. And there's so many other experts that can be quoted that have done legitimate studies on this kind of stuff that it is more important for kids, especially in the younger ages, to focus on play and being outside and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I think we have to understand that they're they're still learning while they're outside, um, while they're playing. Uh, there's kind of a rule in um, science, especially in, in like animal studies, like when you're studying animal zoology, stuff like that, the animals that play more are more intelligent. Uh, that sounds weird, but if you think about the animals that are, are known for playing, it takes a lot of resources to play. It's wasted energy as far as um, you know caloric goes. So if if you're barely living on the edge, right, you're always trying to get more calories, you don't have time to play. So you think of things like dolphins, very smart animals, spend a lot of time playing. Um, otters are similar. And the more they play, and you also look at the animal kingdom and you see children or young animals play more than adult animals play, and it's it's not wasted. It's actually a, a combination of them having the ability uh, to get enough to begin with, they have the energy to do it, but also it's a form of learning. Uh, and the reason why young animals play seemingly more so than adults is because they're really growing into their bodies. And so they need the 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 learning behavior of trying new things um of getting used to the new the you know new size that they are that's why kids when they go through growth spurts are clumsy mm -hmm. and that way they can kind of uh live into their bodies as they are and their brain can adapt to the changing environment and also teaches them a lot of things about the world that uh they may not otherwise get uh and and, and it doesn't seem like it makes much of a difference, but it does when you, I mean, if you go outside and you pick up something and you throw it, you learn then kind of the, how to adjust your strength to the weight and the size of the object in order to get things to go the right distance, in order to hit what you're aiming at. Um, you understand balance better, like it goes on and on and on. Yeah, and there is, there does seem to be an increase of clumsy children in our current culture and society. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that kids aren't going outside enough. Kids aren't playing enough. Kids are staring at screens. Kids are stuck in classrooms. I mean, even across the country, public schools in particular are reducing recess and lunchtime so that kids can be in classrooms more so that they can study more so that they can score higher on the test, which is totally backwards because the reality is if they let them play outside and get active and move their bodies, they would be better equipped to sit down then and learn content that they can possibly be tested on, but we'll do another episode on testing. Um, as a former middle school teacher, middle school classroom teacher, um, it became very apparent to me over the course of my time in the classroom teaching that group of kids that 
they needed hours of time daily to burn off enough energy that they could actually focus when they came back inside. So I would like, I'm like, I don't care whether you're digging ditches or running laps or playing games outside, but if I wanted my, my seventh and eighth grade uh, kids to pay attention in computers class, this is computers class, right? This isn't like, oh, sit down and stare at a book. This is computer class. I like, they just, they didn't pay attention. So I had to, I was like, please just run them, <laughs> you know, do something with them because they won't pay attention. And, and little kids uh, are, are easier to capture their attention. So they might s- seemingly stay focused better, but at the end of the day, they still get squirrely really quickly and they would benefit a lot from being outside more and then come in for shorter periods of time to learn specific quote unquote academic subjects. Yeah, I think it it kind of makes me sad when I see parents, you know, asking things like, oh, my five-year-old isn't focusing and he won't sit down and do his schoolwork. And I'm just like, how, what are you making them do? How long are you expecting them to sit still? Like he's five. He needs to go run and jump and dance and you know, all these things. So, and also if you think about how kids learn, you know, we talked about um, the the classical education model and how the younger kids in particular, they use a lot of song and music and movement to help kids memorize content. And so, I and I, this is just so applicable. Like you will remember that song you sang in Sunday school class and did all the motions for 20, 30, 40 years down the road, but half the stuff you learned in middle school or high school is in one ear and out the other. Yeah, I still remember a song that I sang or was forced to sing in first grade for a play that we put on. It was about dinosaurs. I don't remember anything else about that year other than my teacher's name and a few other little highlights, but nothing academic except that song. Yeah. So, and kind of as a random side note, um, during the Industrial Revolution, before there was mandatory school, uh, they, and they were, they were forcing kids, or not forcing, but like kids were a regular part of the labor force. They intentionally chose little girls for detailed work, like six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. So sewing, hand sewing pieces, things like that even threading uh, machines to do it. And the little boys they had running under the machines, running the the yarn or the string, like doing the gross motor skills type of stuff. Because they even then when they're, you know, they're not in school settings, they recognize that there's a difference here and that difference is important. And so if we want them to focus, you're better off getting a little girl to focus at seven years old than you are a little boy. Yeah. And so they just used them differently. And then once they decided that child labor was wrong, they got rid of that and they set them all in a classroom. And thus began the long history of um, girls in a classroom setting outperforming boys. Yeah. Uh, and it's not surprising given the way in which we operate differently as human beings. Right. And And even taking that to now, there's this super high diagnosis of ADD, ADHD, behavioral issues, all of these things, or, you know, these kids that are constantly getting in trouble, especially boys, but not just boys, 
Um, in a in a traditional classroom setting, that you know they're too wiggly, they're not sitting still, they're too distracted. That you know, and it's like, well, maybe we're setting them up for failure. Well, and if you think about it, this actually kind of tees into something I wanted to talk about. It's not just little kids anymore. Um, our society is now rigged for more faster. Mm-hmm. And so if you, I mean, when was the last time you sat down and read a book, right? And, and think about other people um, that you know, in, especially people that are, are more engaged online in particular. When was the last time they sat down and read a book, like a paper book that was more than 50 pages or 100 pages, like a long one. And our society has become so used to technology and more information more quickly that everyone's attention span is shorter and kids are used to and adults are used to our society is used to instant gratification i know i get frustrated when i'm typing on my computer and my fingers are moving faster than the than the characters on the screen are mm-hmm. or i like have to hit you know i hit submit and it doesn't immediately do what i asked it to do that frustrates me and because i'm like why am i thinking faster than the computer because I'm used to an, an immediate response. That's why, I mean, you can check, if you, especially if you have an iPhone, you can go look and see, how many times did you pick it up today? And what did you spend your time doing? And how much of that was actually beneficial or useful and how much of it was wasted time? And so it's not just kids, but if you think about it, our kids are growing up in this world where that's normal. I mean, I didn't have a computer in my house with a color screen until I was like 12. It was a an orange and brown screen. And at school, they were green and black screens, right? And I oh, didn't have... We're, we're dating ourselves. Now. I know, right? I didn't have a cell phone until I was in college. And I didn't have a smartphone until I'd been teaching for three years or four years. That's because I made him get an iPhone. Exactly. And so, like, it it changes our brains. It's rewiring our brains. Um, and we can argue all day about whether that's good or bad. But our intention spans are getting shorter and it's not just kids, it's adults. And if it's both categories, is it any surprise that these kids are being, well, you have a teacher who's been teaching for 20 years. And when they started teaching, you went to the computer lab and with COVID-19, they handed that teacher a computer and they're like, I don't like this thing. And they handed all the kids a computer and they're like, we love this and we can be distracted while being taught, quote unquote, because they're playing video games while their teacher's quote-unquote teaching, right? Because they know how to work it and the teacher can't stop them. And we're surprised that the teachers, you know, are like, well, I don't, these kids have no attention span. You're right, they don't, but they've been taught that. And it can be untaught as well. Yeah, it absolutely can. I mean, and you can go to some extreme measures, you know? We're trying to find a balance in our own home of, not completely getting rid of screen time because I mean myself I'm kind of on that cusp of digital native um computers and smartphones and all that came out you know well into our life but I definitely had computers at a younger age and um was more active on computers probably sooner than RJ was so definitely I just, just technology is more my thing. Um, and I appreciate all of the amazing resources that we have with technology. But at the same time, I also grew up 
on a horse ranch. And I spent a ton of time outside and exploring the woods near my house and just hiking around with my brother and our neighbors. And so there's just so much value in being outside and not just allowing screens to consume our lives. Um, mm-hmm. So just trying to find that balance as best we can, right? It's a process. There aren't, you know, there's a million books written about how to do it. Mm-hmm. And there is no quick fix. I know this past summer, when we took a road trip um, to the Grand Canyon, so we live in Southern California, we drove out to the Grand Canyon. We told our kids, we're not taking any smart devices. The Normally, they each have their own little Kindle Fire and... Uh, RJ and I have smartphones and we have our own tablets and we have laptops and we have way more devices than we probably need, like majorly. But I even told, I told our 10, oh, well, she just turned 11 year old. I told her, I said, listen, we're not bringing devices on this trip. You guys can pack all the books, all the activity books, all the games that you want but we're not going camping so that you can stare at a screen. And here, let me show you, I deleted all social media off my phone. I basically deleted everything off my phone that could be a distraction. I told her, look, I've got maps. I've got, you know, I can call people, I can text people, I can take pictures with the regular camera, not the Instagram camera. And I can- I know, what? Um, And I think, you know, I kept my Kindle reading app on there because it and and our audible and podcasts so that we could listen to our audiobooks and listen to our favorite podcasts while we were driving around. But it was really good for all of us. It was really good for all of us because it forced us to one, just change our routines and not depend on the screens as a crutch for entertainment. Um, it allowed us to have better connections. Yes, definitely. And it, um, it gave the kids more opportunity to explore. You know, we specifically stayed at a KOA camp because they have a lot of entertaining things like playgrounds and trails and trees and sticks and pools and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So it was really good. Um, and so that was that was kind of our first grand experiment. And. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that it's it's interesting that things that used to be commonplace for our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, for all of human history, things like gathering together at the end of the day and eating a meal have now become something that is scheduled and rare in many households. I know that in our house, it is something we kind of aspire to do, but not with much intentionality right now. Yeah. I mean, we do it, but with five kids and most of them being young, it's kind of this up-down sort of thing where... I'm getting food for you or for the kids, and then you're getting food for other kids. By uh, the time the people <clears throat> who got their food first, like they've already finished their meal before other people have sat down to start their meals. So, But that, that rhythm, that normality of life has changed, and, and it's destroyed. I mean, just the pace of life brought to us by the dig- digital world has removed our margin, the space for our or kind of our souls to catch up to what we're doing. Instead, we're constantly busy. We're constantly being bombarded by life. And so when it comes to education, 
we have to ask the question, are we most interested in cramming as much information into our kids' heads? Or are we most interested in having our kids be able to understand information, to take it on and make wise decisions about what to do with that information? Because you will never get to the bottom of the internet. Nope. The news will never stop. There will always be someone else to like the picture of or someone else you're hoping to get to like yours. But that lifestyle may not be good for humans uh, because we were not meant to live in a community of millions. We were meant to live in a community of hundreds. It's kind of like, I mean, think about the number of people you know and can actually name and know any part of their life story. It's probably in the dozens. It might be a hundred or a little bit more, but it's definitely not in the thousands or the millions. And yet we follow people all over the place as a society. And that may be a problem. So when we get to the question of how much time should a student spend doing schoolwork, it kind of depends on how you define schoolwork or doing homework. Because I would say my daughter making pie crust this evening for a pie she wants to bake for a contest tomorrow, although it doesn't fit into math, science, history, or English in a traditional sense, I think it's a very useful thing for her to do. Mm -hmm. It is a very life-giving thing for her to do. It forces her to kind of contend with the reality because um, she was like, my dough's really crumbly. And I'm like, well, you probably need to put it back in the bowl and add a little bit more water. It's an experiential thing that she'll learn from. And it's a, it's a practical thing. Yeah, it's a problem-solving thing too. I think mm -hmm. that's one of the biggest things we overlook in in play and life skills is that they need to learn problem-solving skills. And so when our one-year-old has climbed up onto the planter box and is now standing there yelling and we're like, hey, dude, you got to figure out how to get down. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we're not going to abandon a one-year-old, but... You know, they're having to look around and calculate depth and mm -hmm. height. And if I try to slide off this, am I going to get hurt? And, you know, just all mm -hmm. kinds of problem solving skills that are then going to translate into their academic studies mm -hmm. because they've been forced to actually solve real life problems. So when they're presented with a math problem, they're not going to get so overwhelmed of like, I don't even know where to start. I don't know how to figure this out, you know, mm -hmm. by allowing them to have that play time and that pro life skill time, it's going to make them, I feel like less overwhelmed on the yeah. academic side. It definitely builds confidence um, because you can't build confidence in a safe environment, completely safe environment. Um, you need to risk. No one's like, woohoo, I walked across the house. Yeah. Right? That's not a confidence builder unless for some reason that's new to you. But if you aren't a runner or you don't like running, I'm not a runner. I don't like running. Um, I will do it, but I don't like it. But if for you, if a 5K is a stretch and you risk and you do it and you actually ran the whole way, that's a confidence boost to you. Yeah. If, you you know, my one-year-old gets off our bed, which is pretty high, mm -hmm. safely, that's a confidence boost to him. Yeah. If our six-year-old can climb 10 feet up a tree and get down. 
without breaking any limbs. That's a confidence boost for him. And that does translate because like, well, the math problem is nothing compared to a tree. Right. Right. It's just numbers on a paper. And in fact, the paper's made of the tree. And so, you know, like I've already conquered this. It's not that big a deal. That doesn't mean it's going to be that way all the time. But we need that in our life, a con- a contending with reality and succeeding. Yeah, absolutely. I think about, you know, we like to go on hikes as a family. And when I say hikes, I mean walking on very mild trails because the age, the little ones, it's too challenging. But when we we were hiking, I think up in Big Bear and we were just walking like the really nice bike path trail and our two-year-old, you know, she had her backpack on and her hat and She's walking and she's getting tired. And I just looked at her and said, wow, Brinley, you're really brave. You're doing a good job. And she's like, yeah, mommy, you're brave too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's exactly. just those, those realizations of like, oh, hey, I can accomplish things. And it's not like, oh, you got a another gold star or a trophy at a soccer tournament for participating. It's mm-hmm. like, hey, you got out in the real world and you yeah. did something. When we were uh, at the KOA visiting the Grand Canyon, the last night we were there, I think, I took the boys. There was a hill right behind the KOA. It was, a, you know, not a huge hill, but a pretty decent sized hill. And I took uh, the six-year-old and the four-year-old with me, and we decided to hike up that hill. And in order to get to the top, you had to go through a cow pasture with, like, beef cattle there. And we ran into a couple of them, and that shook them a little bit. They were a little bit afraid of, of beef cows because, but- one, they're a little bit wild. Two, they're a lot bigger than you, and you're not sure what they're going to do. Well, and we've watched a lot of Dr. Pole, so they know you don't mess around with a beef cow. Yeah, so we proceed, and they're like, you know, multiple times throughout this hike, they're like, can we stop now? Can we turn around? It's at evening, so it's starting to kind of like, it's starting to get to dusk. It's starting to get dark, and they're getting a little bit concerned. But we made it all the way to the top, and I used an app that I have on my phone that allows me to calculate altitude. And when they learned that they had climbed 340-something feet, I think is what it was, in in altitude, they were super excited. And they still talk about it. In fact, the six-year-old brought it up a few days ago. And so I'll be able to draw on that as a a teaching moment, as as an opportunity to draw or to to use that in teaching them for a long time because they remember that. They remember what it was like to kind of stare down a cow. And what it was like to go up slippy, loose rocks and how to, you know, get to the top of a mountain. Because when you're a kid, that's a mountain, you know. And if you're in, you know, Kansas, it's also a mountain. So um, (laughs) it's one of those things where it's something that we can we can cherish as a family. It taught them something valuable, what they're capable of. I was able to kind of guide them and steward them. And it was something I wanted to do anyways. It was great to have friends to do it with. Moral of the story, as a paraphrase of President Kennedy, ask not how much time your kids can spend at school. Ask how much time playing they can instead of school. (laughs) Yes. Um, And I know there's a book that we own that we have not actually read, but we're planning on it that really dives into that. And that is um, Free to Learn. And that one is by Peter Gray. And that, I know a lot of people kind of refer to that as like the the unschooling handbook, if you will. I mean, there's actually another book that I think is called the Unschool Bible or Unschool Handbook. But anyways, I think um, Free to Play is a really good resource. And uh, that's one that we'll be probably discussing more in depth in the future. 
uh, you gotta read it first yeah we gotta read it i mean i can tell you it's a highly recommended book but not by me because i haven't read it and i'm not going to pretend that i have (laughs) so we'll get to it yeah we'll get there uh many many ideas in the uh cauldron of thought that will be coming down the pipeline in the future. Let your kids go outside and play and don't freak out if they don't accomplish four or five hours of schoolwork in a day. And if they don't want to go outside, make them. It's true. You can totally lock them outside. And, and you know, I understand there are definitely challenges with people, you know, where they live, their location, like we're blessed to have a big backyard, not compared to some places, but we have a backyard that our kids can play in and a front yard that they won't get killed in if they're outside. Um, and so we're lucky there, but you know, do what you can. Go for a walk around the block with your kids, take them to a park or a place that has better walking paths and just be active um, or do what you can to be active indoors, especially when, you know, we're going into winter months and the weather doesn't really allow you to be outside. There are so many good free resources on YouTube and apps and things like Go Noodle. Um, there's like, you know, kids exercise channels and a lot of dance videos and things, you know, just try to get your kids up and moving around as best you can, um, just because it will help them. It will help them. I can guarantee you that. Yep. All right. Well, that's it for this week. And we will talk to you again next time. Have a good day. Hey guys, Melissa here again, real quick to ask you a huge favor. If you could head over to iTunes and leave a review for this podcast, that would be amazing. Our podcast can only reach people if they know it exists. So please leave us a review on iTunes. And if you love this episode or any of our episodes, make sure to share it with your friends send it to them or tag us on Instagram at trailblazing homeschool. If you want to learn more about us and how you can connect with us, head over to our website, www.trailblazinghomeschool.com. Of course, all those links are in the show notes.